Welcome to Breakthrough Cocktail, where mixing up happiness, good life skills, and adding a dash of improv to help you live an awesome life. Please give it up for your breakthrough mixologist, Gary Ware. Welcome to another episode of Breakthrough Cocktail. My name is Gary Ware, and I am your host today. Today on the show, I have Corey Poirier. He is the host of the Conversations with Passion radio show. And he's also a TEDx speaker and all-around great guy. Welcome to the show, Corey. Well, thank you for having me, Gary. Happy to be here. All right. So, Corey, before we jump down and learn a little bit more about, you know, what you do and your story, give us a little teaser about the Conversations with Passions radio show. Well, I guess, Gary, the best way to sum it up is that I, you know, starting as a person that was doing interviews in a traditional print format, I love that that uh, approach, you know, in, in a newspaper form and book series, but uh, it kind of had to evolve eventually to uh, a scenario where it could be more audio and more, you know, something that you could actually, a person could listen to on the spot. It could be current, you know, with print, you're already maybe, if you're monthly, you're already a month behind by the time it gets out. Uh, so it could be current stories, current insight and timeless as well. Uh, so I guess that's it was the catalyst for launching it is I wanted to have something that could um, be more uh, almost organic, something you could get your hands on right away. But as far as what the show is about, it's literally our approach is to almost have conversations with passionate people and to kind of pick their brains, share their story, and and maybe gather some insight that we can share with people who desperately need that insight and can apply it starting the very next day. So I guess that would be kind of the quick summary. Great. And so just to get started, how did you get into that? What, what inspired you to, one, have a radio show, and two, have a radio show where you interview people that have passionate lives? You know, I guess that that's that's a great question, and, and it's, it is a two-part kind of answer. But as far as the, the what, I guess, inspired me to want to have a radio show was the, the idea of being able to... Uh, interact with and learn from some of the people that I either had inspired to be or wanted to uh, learn from or who had impacted my life directly. So, you know, people that I thought, how else would I ever gain access to these people and and sort of pick their brains uh, other than to have uh, some sort of medium that they would see as powerful enough to want to spend some time and share some insight as well. So, you know, I guess the catalyst for me was to be able to gain access to some of the people and build my own sort of mastermind group with people that otherwise I might not have access to. Uh, And then as far as why, you know, people with passion, you know, what the, the connection to passion was, for me, whenever I was probably... I guess about 23, 24, uh, in, in that range, I was suffering from anxiety. I'd moved from a, a small little town, uh, you know, less than, I'm going to say probably two to 3,000 people to a city with close to a million. And I was in corporate sales, like I was thrust into corporate sales in a Fortune 500 company and going on and calling on people in buildings that were, you know, taller than any building I'd ever seen in my life before other than on movies or TV. And so all of a sudden it was like a culture shock. And dealing with that, I kind of went inward and and I, I, I kind of developed what some might call uh, generalized anxiety, you know, the whole run of the spectrum, like panic attacks. And it kind of evolved to where it would it turned into almost almost what I'll call hypochondria, uh, where when I'd read about something like a, an illness, that's I would start getting the symptoms of that illness. And I battled that for about three years. And what I recognized, uh, I guess probably three or four years later, when I finally discovered my own passion, was that a big part of why I was dealing with that is because I was dealing with a lot of negative energy in my life. And 
you can't, and I've discovered this since then, you can't actually be a highly passionate person with a lot of passion in your life and positive about that passion and also, for example, be a hypochondriac. Because to be a hypochondriac, you have to think negative. You have to think, this could happen to me. What if this happens? You have to always be in your head thinking about the future. This could happen. And to be a passionate person and positive, it's kind of the opposite, the opposing end. So what happened was I, I recognized once I discovered my passion that I hadn't had it up until that point. So I didn't have it until I was in my mid-20s. And I started performing stand-up comedy in, in, I guess, roughly 2002. And just five minutes or ten minutes of stage time gave me that passion that I hadn't had in my life. People at the office were saying, oh, you got a little jump in your step. Did you fall in love? And what it was is that I'd fallen in love with my passion. And just that little taste made me want more and started you know, building a little fire in my belly that I didn't want to ever lose. And so I continued down that path, uh, became a speaker, which was really kind of the, the next step from uh, being a stand-up comic and also a trainer at the same time. But to go back and answer your question, Gary, what happened was I was able to put my life in perspective and say the first 20 years, roughly, I'd spent it without passion and maybe a little bit more negative than I had to be. And then the last uh, half of my life, I discovered my passion and, uh, and you know, I've, I found my purpose and I'm more, a lot more positive. So in finding my passion and realizing I didn't have it early on, I thought, how powerful is this? This is probably the game changer for most people. And yet I know a lot of people go their whole lives without discovering it. So why not tap into the minds of people that have found their passion and maybe reveal a bit about how they found it, why they found it and what it's done for their life today? Wow, that is so powerful. And <laughs> you said so many awesome nuggets of information in that that brief statement there. Uh, one thing that I want to jump into briefly is you found your passion through stand-up comedy. And I feel I like we have a, a similar link there because one of my passions is improv comedy. And I felt the moment that I started doing that, that I came alive. But focusing on you, how did you sort of, one, know that that was your passion? And two, was that part of a, things that you were trying out to see, hey, is this something I'm passionate about? Can you elaborate on that for our audience? Yeah, for sure, Gary. Uh, so uh, it, it was funny because for me, it, truly, it was a happy accident. I was, I was actually, I had a stage play in an, uh, what's called the Atlantic Fringe Festival, and I was driving down the street at the last day of the play with one of the actors in the car that I had brought into the play, and he said, Corey, you know, I heard about this stand-up comedy workshop at the local university. Uh, you know, what do you think about trying that with me? And I said, that sounds terrifying. I'm in. You know, if you're going to conquer fear, you got to face it head on. So I jumped in head first, didn't know what to expect. And, you know, to make a long story very short, I was terrified at the time of public speaking. They say it's the number one fear in the world above death. And so stand-up comedy was a whole nother level. But I didn't necessarily know by taking the course that I was actually going to get on stage and perform. And there's a whole story, you know, Gary, people can go to my website and see a video. Uh, it was a video on the site where I talk about my first night performing ever. What I will tell you is that I performed my first two jokes without the mic turned on. And so they obviously <laughs> fell on deaf ears. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so that was, there's, you know, there's a powerful lesson that I learned from that as, as well. But in terms of me, so that was a happy accident, me finding my passion. And as a result, I wanted to help other people find that happy accident, but doing it a little more intentionally. So I didn't, uh, I, it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't that I was looking to try to find it and stand-up comedy was like uh, trial number three. It was actually an accident. I didn't even know what it felt like to have your passion or what I was missing. And when I discovered just that little taste of it, I couldn't help but want more. And I, I now say that, uh, you know, I, I say that I'm fueled by vitamin P. And I say that vitamin P, being passion, of course, is the one vitamin you can't buy in the store 
store and it's probably the most powerful vitamin you'll ever take in your life. And so what I'm trying to do is help people discover their passion by and I and I both a we share stories on the show and and hope they in between those messages they can read between the lines and maybe pick out some little nuggets about how they can find their passion. Then we directly ask people on the show how they found their passion and and hope they give you know, they give clues that people can listen to and learn from. And then finally, what I try to do is dissect that both on the show and in my talks as a speaker and say, now here are some actual hardcore rolled up sleeves strategies for how you can find your own passion. That's great. And another question on your passion that was a happy accident. Can you describe with our audience when you were doing something that was passionate, what did it feel like and what did it what did it look like just to give us a clear perspective? Well, that's a, a great question, Gary, and I'll tell you why I think that's such a powerful question is that uh, I get asked the question all the time, well, why do I need it? You know, I, I, uh, I don't even know what I'm missing type thing, so why should I worry about if I am missing it? And so I was asked one time, I was doing, um, actually I had a meeting with a, a general manager of a chamber of commerce, and he had a, a tag along, if you will, a shadow, and she said, you know, you... I don't know what it is, but the two of you guys seem to have like a bubble of energy around you. Like people are looking over even when even when you're not talking, and when you know when you first walked in the door, like you know the level of passion you come in with, people seem to notice it, and and I think you see that. You know that's why I think actors and and musicians, you see them kind of walk around, and, and you say, what is that thing they have? What is that ingredient? That, that you know you can't seem to bottle anywhere and and that's what I think it is I think they're living their purpose and passion and so she asked you know what does it feel like I want to get this and I want to know what I'm missing out on and you know both him and I together tried to figure out how to describe it to her and, and I did say a little hint of it is that it's like I have a fire in my belly and I will not let anybody get to that fire and extinguish it but I'll go one step further and say you know for somebody who wants to, to know even further what it feels like I would say for anybody either a who likes Christmas or B who has a child that likes Christmas uh, you know that memory of running down the stairs or even Halloween if they like Halloween getting dressed up for Halloween and going out you know the, the memory the feeling that you get from excited about Christmas if you are or your child is and you watch them get excited or you when you're you're going out for Halloween that's how I feel every second of every day that's so powerful and yes for those who are listening if if that is something that is a good feeling for you, because I know, yes, those are one of the best feelings uh, as a child, Halloween and Christmas. And if I can have that feeling every day of my life, I would. And it's, again, it's something where it's not a destination. I feel it's a journey. So, you know, we're not, oh, I found my passion. All right, thanks. I'm done. No, it's like now, as you said, there's a fire in my belly and I don't want someone to extinguish it. Next question for you is you found your passion now, how did you correlate that into the the next thing that you wanted to do? Because I feel like a lot of times people who who they think they found their passion, they have a hard time translating that into the next step. Yeah, well, for me, what happened was that I guess this was the part that was a little more intentional, Gary. And, and by the way, I'll say, I'll say one other thing that I think I, I'd be remiss in not mentioning is for people that, because I know lots of people that don't like Christmas and Halloween. So just to give them one more little bit of insight that it took me a long time to figure out is that people that have discovered their passion. And I've seen this. It, it, it's not even like, a, you know, a high percentage. It's almost 100 percent that the people that have discovered their passion for them. It's the, it, for them. Monday, for example, is honestly no different than Friday. And that's a lot. That's really hard for somebody to swallow who wears the the TGIF uh, TGIF shirt around, whether literally or or figuratively, every day. Going, I can't wait till Friday. I can't wait till Friday. Uh, for somebody who's found their passion, they don't count the hours. They don't watch the clock. They don't wear a watch. A lot of them, and they definitely don't think that Friday is better than Monday. 
So I just thought I'd put that out. I used to wear a shirt out to stage, TGIM. You know, thank God it's Monday because it was just to kind of talk to the fact that Monday to me is no different. And a lot of times I don't remember the day of the week until I consciously think about it. So just wanted to put that in there. But in terms of, for me, how I kind of took it to the next step, was more intentional, is that I like certain aspects of stand-up comedy, which I still love those aspects. I'm kind of on a, uh, I've been on a retirement, if you will, for two years. But I love a lot of aspects of stand-up and miss them when I'm not performing. And as a trainer, I loved a lot of aspects of that. But it felt like, you know what, Gary, I'm about 50% there, but there's something still missing. And so I kind of thought, what's close to these? If this is, a, you know, if this is a, uh, I'm all, almost a lead into my passion. If this is almost it, but I feel that I'm still not complete, what am I missing? And so what I did was I took, I sat down and wrote, what do I love about stand-up and what do I maybe not like as much? Then I wrote, what do I like about training and not like as much? And what I discovered after doing a little bit of an exercise was that the things I liked about stand-up and the things I liked about training, in the middle of those two was what was called a professional or a motivational or inspirational or educational speaker. That, and I didn't really know you could make a living doing that. And so, you know, I started looking and uh, Googling it and finding people like Anthony Robbins, who I had known from before, but I thought of him only as a coach. Uh, I looked at people like Jack Canfield, Chicken Soup for the Soul. And started discovering these speakers and realizing this was a whole entire industry and that what it did. So I looked at, you know, looked up what a speaker was and what a speaker did. And I started right away, instantly it popped in my head. I was like, this is what I'm looking for. This, you know, I can get the best of the stand up. I can deliver the comedy. I can deliver jokes. You know, maybe I'll be a little more politically correct than I would at a nightclub, but I can deliver the comedy, deliver the jokes, get the laughs. And actually the audience is rooting for me rather than rooting against me. And on the train, you know, compared to the training, I could actually get the aha moment and get somebody to think about changing their life uh, rather than just giving them strategies for doing so. Because sometimes in a keynote, you can reach a person in a totally different way, you know, and, and reach a lot of people. So you can reach maybe 2,000 people and have, you know, 5% change the way they do things. And that can impact the entire world. Whereas sometimes in training, I was having the client, you know, telling their staff they had to be there. And out of 10 people in the room, there might be only one that really cares. So I, I like the idea of being able to reach more people with a powerful message in a shorter time. And then if you need to, you can dig deeper with people down the road. So I still do training, but that's, I guess, the, that was the intentional way that I really d dived into finding my passion and now today living it. Wow. These are some really good, really good nuggets. And I love the fact that you started listing the things that you love about presenting what you love about stand-up comedy and then you know what is that happy medium i feel far too often people they just settle for stuff or someone told them they should do this and they don't just take the time to think for themselves and think about what makes them happy and another takeaway that just in listening to you i feel that if you weren't present uh, i with social media and with mobile devices and and always being connected i feel we're we're so connected, but we're not present, especially with ourselves. And we miss a lot of things. You know, we go through the motions. And if you're not present, you may miss that opportunity to find that that moment that is going to light that fire in your belly. So these are really good stuff. And thank you for sharing these. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. So so moving on, you've interviewed just tons and tons of people and you've as you mentioned you know gotten insights on on how they found their passion and you distilled that um are there other pillars that that you found in common with these people that you've interviewed because uh, i know you've done a ted talk on this so i want to see if you can share uh some of these common threads oh absolutely for sure i i, I would say you know it's funny because 
I can tell you even if you want, Gary, uh, I just revealed to you that the, actually the most common trait is that they have discovered their passion and purpose. And I can share with you if you want maybe the next three down the line. Sure. Uh, the, you know, and, and it, these, these traits, what I love about them is that they're, they're as you kind of put it out, pointed out, common traits among these super achievers. But what's also really cool is it doesn't matter what background you started with, uh, financially where you came from, it doesn't matter uh, how much time you already put in. All of these things you can literally start tomorrow and either start to find them, start to implement them, or you can, you can grab a hold of them and it doesn't matter your background or where you were born or anything. And I just love that. That is something you can, anybody, it's everybody kind of starts on an equal playing field. So even if you think passion, you know, not many people are born with their passion, point, you know, painted on their shirt. So we all have a chance to go out and find it. So that's something that anybody can do. And it doesn't matter uh, your background, your income level, you know, who your family was, none of that matters. So if I continue down that path, uh, the second most common trait I discovered is what I'll, I'll, I'll describe as lifelong learners are leaders. And so what I mean by that is that these high achievers, these super achievers, have committed to learning forever. Uh, you know, Zig Ziglar had a great quote that uh, stated that you can finish school, but you'll never finish your education. And what I found is that these super achievers, they're never done. You know, Jack Canfield, Chicken Soup for the Soul, who I mentioned a minute ago, we had him on the show. Uh, you know, I think he was 69 at the time. Uh, he, he might be 70 now. And, you know, Jack was sharing that, uh, you know, he still goes to seminars at the back of the room and, and you know, fills up notebooks. And I've talked to other people in the show who said they've sat beside or near Jack. And he's you know, pounding through the, the paper, taking notes, while you see young people in the room who need it more than Jack probably does. Let's be honest. I mean, he spent 40 years engrossed in it. And yet Jack is the guy that's taken more notes than them. So I've discovered that these lifelong learners uh, become leaders or they are leaders. And what they get is that you never stop learning. And the day you do, it's time to, you know, it's time to kind of pack it all in. So that's a powerful message that I've learned. And, you know, I heard, uh, I forget his first name, uh, and rather than Googling it, because uh, we're present in the moment right now, uh, I'll say his last name is Gardner, and I want to say Chris, but I might be wrong on that. Uh, I heard this uh, great speaker one time say the common trait, if you look at the leaders of yesterday, like your Einsteins, your Edisons, your Fords, one thing they all had in common, without a doubt, was they all had a personal library. And I don't think that's a coincidence. So uh, number two most common trait is that these lifelong learners are leaders, these people that realize it's about continual learning. And the cool part today is it's not just reading. Uh, it can be through podcasts. It can be through TED Talks. There's so many options that they never had before. But these people that understand that it's important to continue to self-develop, they're the ones that rise to the top. That's so good. And you're right. Another person that I admire, a gentleman by the name of Chris Guillebeau, and one of his books that... I really enjoy was the art of nonconformity. And in that book, Chris talks about how you don't have to go and get a master's degree. And he lists a number of things that you can do to get the equivalent at a fraction of the cost. And, and one of those things is being that lifelong learner and reading books and listening to podcasts, because in this day and age with information technology, and the internet and being able to get information at a moment's notice, um, a lot of times you don't necessarily have to pay for an education. And I feel the people who go back, and I'm of the mindset that I don't think unless you need it for your job to get licensed or something like that, why should you go back and get your master's? And I feel you need to live life and you need to figure out, as you mentioned, what is your passion and purpose? And then once you have that, how can you continue to 
cultivate that. So, so these are some really good traits, Corey, and you know, thank you for that. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So, so uh, oh, go ahead. Yes, I was gonna say, did you? I, I mentioned I'd share more than one. So, did you want yeah. me to share? Oh, I'm sorry. You you sort of rolled that up and then you stopped. <laughs> I thought that was like sort of rolled in. Uh, they were all rolled into one. So, all right. Yes, please continue. No worries. And and I did that actually because just in case you had a question, so I kind of stopped for a potential question. So, uh, Gary, number two, and, and I'll make these two a little quicker. But number two is that, uh, and I can kind of tie them together actually. But number two is that I've discovered that these high achievers, and this is probably. Even though it's number three in terms of the, you know, what they have in common as far as a percentage, I would say it's the toughest one to do today. And maybe the most significant one is that, and you mentioned it, you've actually I alluded to it two times, at least I believe, was the power of being uh, what I call going all in. So being present moment aware. So what I discovered is that when I'm sitting with these super and high achievers, they have schedules that would make some people shiver or at least tired. And yet they find a way to be all in with the person they're with. So, uh, you know, to put a, a point on it, whenever I meet with most people doing interviews, they can't shut the, the phone off. They, they're thinking about the phone. They or they, they say, I have to leave it on in case I get this call or they have all kinds of reasons why they're they're tied to the device. And, and truly, um, you know, we had a, a great guest in the show that talked about uh, they have they've discovered proof that there's dopamine and endorphins that is released every time we check our device you know every time we check it or every time there's a message there or dings and so what they've discovered is it's not just a habit now it's actually an addiction so I understand why it's not easy for people to break away but what I've discovered as well is that these super achievers they know how to break away they can act like they don't own a phone and that's so powerful like they they don't multitask whenever I'm sitting with them they're with me whether it's an hour or two hours and then I assume they go all in with the device whenever they're with it and they're on their own time but that's a big distinction because most people can't do that in today's day and age and I believe it's going to be one of the biggest advantages that people have in the future is their ability to turn off and to go all in and be present moment aware and then if I maybe give you the, the next one uh, at the exact same time I guess or in the same kind of bubble um, the other one that I would say that's very uh, powerful and I've noticed that is common among these high achievers is that they know how to sort through the information they're getting hit with to get to the wisdom so you know I've said before I call that kind of uh, we're in an information heavy wisdom light society where information is everywhere it's kind of like a dime a dozen type situation and anybody that doubts that just has to go into their Facebook newsfeed and and read the first five and not get pulled into a lot of information that really doesn't help you any. Uh, you you know if you go through ten you might find some wisdom. If you go through fifteen you might find some wisdom, but you have to sift through the information to get to that wisdom. And so I found the super achievers know they 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 determine who is my resource, who is my source. You know maybe it's Gary's show, and then they they learn on demand. They say okay, Gary's my source, so I want to make sure I get to Gary first before I get to the stuff that I may have to sift through to decide if there's another Gary in there. So they know how to do that. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. It's the people that can just be present and not let their you know, devices get the best of them. In addition, be able to find those nuggets of information. Yeah, those are going to be the overachievers. And it's something that I strive for. And this is something that I, I've shared a few times on the show, but haven't gone into too much detail. Um, I uh, struggle with ADHD. And I recently watched a podcast about someone that said that he also struggles with ADHD, but he said there's becoming a new ADHD that is more, it's not something that you're born with, it's something that's more conditioned, and it's through social media, because 
we are getting that dopamine every time we check our device and it's becoming this new learned trait. So the people that can overcome that and give their full attention to whatever it is that they're with, whether they're with a person or on a task, are going to be the ones that are going to have those aha moments because they're not going to be distracted. Yeah, and I will say too, uh, I mentioned, um, and, and I do mention him often because I am a, a big fan. You know, when we become a big fan of somebody, of course, that's, uh, we tend to, um, I find, you know, if, if we're inspired by somebody in specific, we tend to reference them a bit more than the next person. But, um, you know, out of all the interviews we've had, um, I, I mean, I have to say I've been impressed by and, and fans of almost every guest. But one thing that Jack Canfield in particular said that uh, I heard him say actually in a, a seminar, and so I wanted to dive into it, and we did on this show, was his thing he uses that he calls his hour of power. And what Jack's hour of power is, he spends the first hour of every day, and what he does is with that hour is he doesn't check technology, he doesn't check devices, he doesn't check email, he doesn't do anything the first hour of the day. Instead, what he does is he spends it with himself, uh, you know, breaking it down the, that he spends 20 minutes exercising, 20 minutes reading and 20 minutes meditating. So he spends an hour giving his tone, uh, his time with Jack, setting the tone for his day before he ever gets into the other rest of the world, if you will. And, you know, I took that and maybe expanded it a bit and called it my 120 minutes to win it. And I added in an hour of what we'll call prospecting or, or you know, make, I guess business-related stuff that's related to growing my business. And so I spend the first two hours, typically, depending on what I have for the day. Some days I can't do it. But every day I can, I spend the first two hours uninterrupted, dedicated to those uh, those two hours of, you know, expanding me and expanding the business time. And so I, I feel that's, a, you know, a great way to be a little more present moment aware because during the two hours, you're present moment aware. But then if you can take that power back for that time, whether it's an hour or 15 minutes or two hours, you're going to have a better chance of becoming one of those people that can that can turn it off when you need to turn it off. That's so great. And we're going to for those listening that are interested in that interview, uh, we'll include a link uh, to that interview in the show notes because I, I would love to to hear that. And the hour of power, that is something that I I don't necessarily call it that, but um, I try to do something similar every day, you know, when possible. And and I got mine from James Archer's book, Choose Yourself. And he had mentioned that we all have uh, four bodies, he calls it. And a lot of times we just work on our physical body and we wonder why we still feel less whole. And it's because we're not working on our intellectual body, which is our brain, our, you know, thinking and coming up with ideas, our spiritual body. So with meditation and our uh, emotional body. So that's gratitude and whatnot. So every day when I wake up before I get started on the day is I at least try to meditate for at least 10 minutes journaling and, you know, talking about what was what was grateful about the, the previous 24 hours and, you know, doing some bit of art or some some sort of doodling, you know, really helps me get started. And I find that in situations when I do that, I I don't know something about it. I have I have a better day than in situations when when I don't. And it maybe it's just when I do that, I'm able to cope with the things that come out. Yeah, absolutely. I I believe per, uh, it's really it's you're being proactive and it's teaching you. I mean, even at an unconscious level, how to become more proactive in every aspect of your life by you taking kind of that that time, you're actually saying I'm important and I matter. And, you know, that and also that uh, the way I spend my day counts and matters. So I, I think you're actually setting the tone for your day in your life. 
Yeah. And then the other thing I want to quickly dive into is you mentioned your little, so you, you modified Jack Canfield's process to have your own process that allows you to really kick off your day. And I, and I feel like everyone should do this as a way, you know, whatever you do, you know, whether you work on your own, you have your own gig or you work at a job is just coming in and spending an hour on, you know, on your business. And so can you describe again, what are those things that you try to do habitually? Yeah, well, what I mean, so I, I spend and, and why I added that, by the way, too, Gary, is because I, I found that my hour, it might not be identical to Jack's, by the way, um, you know, and, and I should mention that, too, for people that want to try something like that. You don't have to do the same hour that he's doing. You don't, it doesn't if you're not a meditator and you decide that you're never going to do that no matter what. I mean, I personally think you're missing out. But if, if you decide that, I mean, you can you can, you can t- take pictures for an hour. You can get up and, and if you're a photographer, if that's what you love, your passion outside of work, get up and just go outside and take pictures for an hour. You know, go uh, get up and go outside and, and sit in the grass if that does it for you. Or if you play an instrument or you want to start playing an instrument, spend an hour playing the instrument. So it doesn't have to be what exactly what Jack did. I think the message is you spend an hour with you uh, emotionally, uh, spiritually, uh, from a wellness perspective. I think why Jack's works so well is because he's added an exercise, which, by the way, they say releases dop- dopamine and endorphins as well. Uh, so he's he's spending you know time doing that. He's And exercise is obviously good for every aspect of our life. So he's getting that done in the first hour of the day. He's getting the spiritual side done the first hour of the day, and he's getting the learning, which I talked about being one of the top traits. Uh, so I, I get you know basically a lot of the same things Jack does done in that hour. But that second hour, which is the one you're referring to, why I edit that in is because all those things were great, but for me personally, they weren't growing my business. They're growing me, which in you know in turn, of course, helps grow my business. But they weren't actually uh, things that I could say tangibly I could measure as a business growth strategy. So I wanted to add in the business growth as well because I found that was where I had the bigger complaint was that I could get those other things done even and I could commit to doing say hot yoga and and finding time to do it throughout the day and if I wanted to do it I would make sure I did it. It didn't have to be the first hour but and so I wanted to practice that because I thought it was powerful to do the first hour without interruption but to me the harder challenge for me in the day was to get everything I wanted to get done from a business perspective and to actually grow my business and not go at the end of the day, wow, I get nothing done. So I wanted to incorporate an hour where it was just, let's get this done. So by, and this is the cool part, by the end of those two hours, when I get them done that, like the days I can do them, I know that I've gotten more done than some people get done the entire day. In fact, I would even go as far as to say some people might get done the entire week. So that was why I did it. Uh, in terms of what I do within that hour, it does vary. But I would say on the speaking side, because that's what grows my business the most. Uh, in fact, people ask me, you know, uh, and I mean, I won't go too far into this, but I kind of built a spider system that I learned from the stand-up comedy world around my my brand. And what that means is I put me in the center and said, okay, this is the brand. You know, I want to get information out to people in a timely way that matters. And now I edit the spider legs and each one of those legs was how am I going to do that? What's the platform? Uh, you know, be it social media, be it a uh, blog or, or I mean, a blog, be it a podcast or a radio show, be it my speaking. And the speaking is the one that's kind of pushed the needle the most in the sense that I get to meet, let's say, you maybe 2000 people at a talk and, you know, maybe 50 people come up afterwards and say, can you add me to your newsletter list or let's keep in contact. And then they get on my newsletter list. And so then what happens is on my newsletter, they learn about the radio show or they hear me talk about the radio show and say, can you give me your card? I want to start listening to the radio show. But it happens for me. It's kind of funny. It happens offline 
in, in the speaking side. So what I try to do, of course, within that hour is grow the speaking side because it actually helps every other leg of the spider. And so what I spend the hour doing could be returning calls, uh, could be following up on leads. Let's say I do a talk and in my valuation form, five people say, I know somebody that can use your talk, get in touch with me. So it's that time. I also make, I still make, uh, I pick up the phone and make sales calls to people. I mean, I know who I'm calling. I, it's very targeted, but people might say, you should call this company or I just did a talk for somebody and they said, you know who else you should talk to? Uh, or I just know a company's expanding and opening a second office. So my hour would be spent, really I'll, I'll put one word to it, prospecting, whether that's warm calls, uh, whether that's cold calls, whether that's uh, you know referrals, leads, whatever it is, it's really following up on people that said they wanted to talk to me about uh, a certain fit as a speaker or whether it's opening up a new relationship as a speaker. So that's how I spend my hour. But really, at the end of the day, I think for anybody, they have to look at their business and say, what does that mean to me? You know, if it's maybe it's spending an hour getting mailers ready, you know, it could be anything as long as it's to grow their business in some way, shape or form. Yep. And that's perfect. And you're absolutely right that by doing this and sticking with it, you are probably going to get more done in your day than most people get, you know, in, in a week. And I think by also doing this, if you can commit to yourself for an hour, you know, maybe you don't do, you know, the full two hours, but you can at least do an hour and have this hour focus on your business. If anything else happens to pop up and any other distractions pop pop up in the day, you can probably say that it was still a productive day. Well, that's that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the way I look at it, which is kind of a unique, I guess, maybe approach to it is on those days that I get that done, which, by the way, you know, the second question could be how often are those days? I would say it's I mean, it's I would I would go so far as to say it's religiously five days a week. Um, so I aim for seven. And, you know, if I land on five or six, I'm again, I'm still happy with that. And, and I mean, of course, the weekends are a variable, too. I don't I don't tend to work a lot on the weekends. So I guess when I say five out of seven, I'm just thinking along the lines of it's like 80 percent of my weeks. So it's probably more like three out of five or four out of five. But uh, what I you know, when what, what I look at it is that if I'm done of those two hours and I was effective with those two hours, nothing interrupted me. Then everything else. And this is kind of wild. I, if I start my day at seven, everything else is is bonus. So here from nine o'clock on, everything else I get done is actually a bonus to my day. And, you know, how great of a feeling is that to know by nine o'clock you can wipe your hands together and say, I got as much as I need to get done today. And now here, this is all the gravy from here on in. Got it. And last question on that, and then we'll move on, is do you sort of outline what you're going to do beforehand or do you already just know what you're going to do and you just jump into it? Uh, it's a bit of both. I, I mean, I outline it. I mean, I have a task list, a to-do list, and it carries over. And I believe on, you know, a hard copy task list and striking it off uh, that task because I believe that also uh, gives you that natural high of accomplishment. So I, I go through that route. And, and I sat with somebody yesterday interviewing her and she said that she believes in it so much that she if she does something that wasn't on her task list, she adds it on and then strikes it off. Yep, I do the same. Awesome. So yeah, so I, I guess I, I'm a, I'm a 80% on the task list kind of rule, but but also, and this brings up a good point, what you mentioned is uh, interruptions happen, things happen. You have to almost allow time for the reactiveness. And that's why I like the first two hours or hour, whatever you choose, is because that time there's no, you're not given anything permission to, to interrupt. But what, the rest of the day, there might be permission to interrupt. So you have to deal with the things that come your way. And so that's where all of a sudden, a, a great example could be, Gary, I could have an opportunity, you know, a, a big publication could come to me 
and say somebody else canceled this you know they were supposed to be our source or uh, we're putting this article together that's short notice and we need a source thing opportunities like that come up so i can't ever forecast that they're going to appear that day but at the same time i'm not going to turn them down and i mean i shouldn't say i'm not going to i have to decide whether it's a fit for me and my business but uh if it is a fit then i'm going to find a way to fit it in so the answer is is that some are on the task list some are not but at the same time it's um it's it's kind of very intentional and i know which ones that i'm mentally adding onto the task list and then i will go back and mark them down so that i remember that i did them and i can and note them in in the path but i i would say that you know some days i realize that i'm 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 organized to a large degree uh you know maybe more than some people but i'm also not as organized as i could be so i'm probably like a 70 percent. i actually have a a thing called my weekly rhythm register that i got from uh, darren hardy who's the publisher of success magazine from his book called the compound effect which is one of the best books i've ever read and he's very structured and and has a real system in place for his whole life and i kind of took a bit of that and, and he obviously he shared it in the perspective of use this and uh, so uh, so i did and essentially what it is is that uh, i i have the sheet that he uses and i I've, it worked so i used his and i put it the first of the sheet i i put uh, here's my to do's for the week so i have like 12 items that i have to do and one of them might be practice yoga five days a week as an example another and that's you know maybe on the health and wellness side and another one might be make 100 sales calls this week and so i break it down into days so that tells me i want to make 20 a day if i'm working on a five-day week the yoga tells me out of seven days i got to get five in and i literally uh check them off as i do them and if i hit over 80 percent of the entire week of that list because that's a big list then I give myself a reward to thank myself for working so hard that week. So it doesn't have to be 100%, which is sometimes where we make the mistake. I feel if you aim for, as they say, the moon and you still hit the stars, you're, you're a lot further than the person that aimed at the ground. So I, so I have definitely a system. I definitely track stuff. I measure stuff. But at the same time, I allow for the things that can come into play without being on my system. And also, I have to admit that I, I definitely some things happen and push me off my path and I'm not as organized as I could be at certain times of the day. So I think if you get it right, a lot, you know, more than 50% of the time, you're further ahead than a lot of people are because we're so busy and hit with so many things um, that most people have a struggle to try to even keep up to 50%. Yeah, these are all great takeaways. And, and I agree. If you if you have a list and don't beat yourself up if you don't get through all of them, you know, if you get a majority of them, you know, that that's good, too, because, you know, the our life isn't over yet and our life shouldn't be completely defined by what we complete and what we didn't complete. And then the last thing, I love how you reward yourself. And there's so many studies out there that, you know, talk about the gamified approach to, to living life and, and you should reward yourself, you know, whatever that is to you, whatever is meaningful for you, because that reward is going to be that much more greater because you worked your butt off to achieve it. You know what? I, I have to say that 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 reward kind of system has, you know, it's one of the catalysts uh, for me, I guess, both a uh, wanting to succeed and, and b at the same time, it's probably one of those little natural highs, even the smallest rewards uh, still. I, I look at it almost like, you know, if when I was in sales what meant more to me, and I think it was because of maybe a significance to, to hopefully build a bit of a legacy, what was more important to me than the money or the income or the revenue I would make was the, you know, hitting a certain achievement level, making a president's club, things like that. And I think it's kind of now that I've 
for years been out of the structure of the system, uh, I don't get that anymore. And maybe it's my own little way of giving me that. And I also build it like monthly, I'll do a bigger reward. And then yearly, I'll have like, here, how am I going to thank myself for working a hard year? So I, it's not just a small one. But the reason the small ones are there weekly is because I, I feel that too many people quit before they get to the big one because they didn't have any motivation along the way. So it's kind of like my own little incentive program, <laughs> if you will. Perfect. All right. And we are running low on time, so I, we're going to jump right into our lightning round. Corey, are you ready for the lightning round? I am more than ready, if awesome. that's possible. Yes, 110%. So these are questions that I ask all of my guests just to hear how they tick. And I'm excited to hear your answers. And the first question is, Corey, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? A rock star. No questions. No, th I mean, I don't mean no, no other questions. I mean, no hesitation whatsoever and no curiosity. It was 100%. I wanted to be a rock star. Did you have any, any uh, artists in mind that were inspiration that you wanted to be like? Well, it, this is, you know, whether I'm, I'm a big believer that sometimes I put a uh, quote up the other day that the, the things that we're most embarrassed to share, sometimes other people he need to hear the most. <laughs> yes. uh, I don't know if that applies here, but I was a huge fan of the 80s glam band Poison. Uh, I don't need to know if people need to hear that, but uh, I would definitely was a fan of them. And so they kind of inspired me to, you know, I guess to the idea of what, you know, being a rock star could be. And, and also they inspired me because they, I mean, they were, I say glam band, they wore makeup much like the New York Dolls and, and they got chastised for it and a lot of, you know, negativity about it. And I love the fact that they embraced it. They didn't say, well, let's change who we are. I love the fact that they embraced that. And I think that kind of inspired me just that they were so brave about it. So uh, that's kind of who, I guess, inspired me. And, and in terms of in terms of playing music and getting into playing music and songwriting and that, uh, family members, I, I, a lot of my family members play instruments. My two older cousins, uh, actually, it, my last CD, fourth CD I put out, my two older cousins play on the CD. Uh, so that tells you kind of how uh, significant uh, an impression they had on me as, as musicians as well. And then one of my uncles taught me my first three chords. So that was the, the rock star band was Poison and the getting there, you know, learning to play music and actually playing in clubs and putting out music. Uh, it was inspired by my family members. Oh, that's great. And you know what? There's no shame in, in liking Poison because they had some really good hits. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you have any hobbies? Oh, for sure. Um, sometimes people ask me, how do you have enough time for hobbies? But, uh, you know, I, I think again, it's all about how you manage your day. And so I definitely make time for hobbies. And, you know, the ones that I would kind of jump right, to, right, you know, on top of and say, these are kind of my hobbies would be uh, practicing yoga, I mentioned. Uh, also, I, I mentioned music. So playing music, uh, even just sitting by myself and playing music, songwriting, that type of thing. Um, I've added some new ones into my life. Actually, stand up comedy I referenced earlier is more of a hobby to me now than whereas before I used to do it more for money. Likewise with music, they're both hobbies now. But um, also, I'm adding new ones, and I'm always trying to expand my comfort zone. And so the new ones I've sort of added in, and just literally in the last few months, uh, I'm converting a lot of my songs over to bass so that when I'm playing live in the future, I can actually bring on a, a guitarist and me more focused just on laying down the rhythm and let somebody else deal with the, the lead and play a lot of the big notes. And uh, so I'm kind of converting my stuff to bass, but I'm also um, learning to play piano and learning to salsa. So dance, salsa. So nice. those are new things. Man, a mini treat. You're a renaissance man. <laughs> I try my best. Awesome. Uh, on the show, you've re you recommend a number of books, and we're going to include all of them in the show notes. But are there any other books that you would recommend to our listeners? 
Yeah, there's two, and, and I'm sure uh, if you haven't heard these a lot yet, Gary, as the show progresses, they'll probably become the two that a lot of people mention. So in some ways, I think I almost should go to books that most <laughs> people won't mention, but I have to tell you the ones that influenced me the most. Uh, you know, I referenced The Compound Effect, which is obviously a book that not everybody will say, so maybe that's my little, here you go, Gary, here's one that not everybody will probably reference. But the two that I think most people will, and they were the game changers for me, uh, in reverse order, would be Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And the one that impacted my life the very most was The Game Changer. It's the one I think should be on everybody's shelf, and it is on a lot of their shelves. Uh, it's the book that sells, I heard I heard stats like a million copies a year. It's over 50 million copies sold. I think it's the number one professional development book in sales. Is none other than Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yep. And why I say it was The Game Changer is a lot of people know this now but didn't when I started. It was the first book I ever read in my life. Cover to cover was, uh, believe it or not, I was 27 years of age, so just 12 years ago. And it was that Dale Carnegie book and I loved it so much that I was sitting in a cabin, had no other book to read. I reread it again, so I often say that it was the first and second book I ever read in my life. <laughs> That's great. And you're right, these are awesome books uh, and I, I own all of them and for the listeners out there, we will include these in the show notes. I highly recommend all of them. Two more questions. One is, is there a quote or affirmation that you like to live your life by? Sure is there. I mean, there's lots. I mean, I'm a huge quote person and I wasn't years ago. So, you know, I'm, I'm a converted quote person, if that's possible. Uh, I didn't see the value of them in years ago, but now I'm, I mean, I'm all about the quotes. Uh, so I'll tell you like one I say often, and I think I even referenced it. Actually, I think I, well, no, I guess I didn't One, I'll, maybe I'll give you two if that's cool, Gary. Yeah. Um, so the one that uh, I share often that really impacted my life was one by Zig Ziglar that I'm paraphrasing at best. I know I shared a Zig quote earlier, but his other quote, which is, uh, you can have anything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want, is a quote I live by. And it's all about really giving so much value that people want to give back. But if, even if they don't, it doesn't matter because you're not giving to receive. But it's about giving so much value and when you give that much value, it'll come back to you some way, shape or form. So I believe in that one. But the one that I've really, uh, I guess, started really taking internally more recently, and it, it relates to almost to the um, Malcolm Gladwell Outliers book about 10,000 hour rule is a great Bruce Lee quote that said, and again, paraphrasing, going by memory, uh, that I do not fear the man who practices 10,000 different kicks once. Each, I fear the man who practices one kick 10,000 times. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's powerful to me. Yeah. And, and it goes back to what you talked about earlier is focus. Yeah, it's focus. And I think it's consistency, like the idea that this person, uh, Harvey McKay, uh, who's uh, the author of uh, How to Swim with Sharks Without Getting Eaten Alive, uh, you know, he always says that you should, when you dive into something, uh, don't, he said, practice doesn't make perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. So, yes. you know, you have to actually focus your practice and, and know what your practice is and plan your practice and, and, and zone in. And I believe also it's the, the 10,000 hour rule, the idea that if you practice something enough times and learn, and here's the perfect part and learn and adjust each time, like once you get better, learn how to practice better, you know, learn to take what you learned in the past and then apply it. You know, if you read 10,000 books, you're going to be smarter than, uh, you know, reading, if you read one book, um, you get knowledge. But if you read 10,000 books, you're also taking the knowledge from those other 9,999 books into the new book. Yeah. So, you know, I guess I, I love the idea that the 10,000 hour rule and the 10,000 kicks rule applies in the sense that if somebody consistently practices uh, over and over again, they're going to get better over time. And they're going to be the person that you should fear because they're going to be the perfect person that is the expert once they're done. Perfect. Yeah. And I totally agree. And then the last question I have for you is, if you can give 
our audience just one simple tip, one thing that they can do today to help them get clarity and find their passion so that they can live an awesome life, what would that be? Well, if it comes to, you know, finding their passion and living with purpose, because I would give probably two different answers depending on if it's a, you know, a tip that they can apply tomorrow that might change their life. But obviously finding their passion will change their life. So and hopefully this, you know, helps for somebody that has found it. Maybe they can pay this forward and, and apply this tip to somebody else who says, how do I find my passion is and, and maybe I'll couple it together. But it really comes back to one tip is to actually start the process of determining your passion and how you do that is you sit down and you actually say, what did I love doing when I was a kid, when money wasn't an issue? You know, what was the thing that I got a kick out of that rocked my world? Or, and I say these kind of relate, what is the thing I would do today if I won the lottery and money wasn't an issue? Because even though we love to say I would never, I wouldn't do a thing, I'd sit in the couch and watch TV. We see, you know, people when they hit 65 and retire, they, a lot of those people pass away within weeks because they lost their identity. So if that's not the answer to figure out, you know, to, to me, retirement is, is a, a falsity, like to actually think about a retirement where you don't do anything. To me, it, you know, living, finding the life you don't need to escape from, as Seth Godin would say, is more important now than living a life you always have to find two weeks to escape from. Yes. So, you know, in terms of what I would say is find your passion today. Um, and and how you do that is to say, what would I do if money was an issue, whether it's 30, 40 or 65 or 100 uh, and money was an issue? What is the thing you would spend your time doing? What's the thing that you would now do with that time? And then I would also add in if if you're on your path to finding your passion when you were younger or if you, you said, I want to be go to clown college and, and a parent said, no, that's not realistic. Go, I want you to go to Stanford and you went to Stanford. What what were you gonna do? What what you what's what are the hints from what you were gonna do? Because you might not have wanted to be a clown, but there's hints I guarantee you in there uh, to what your passion was. So those three are be the trifecta of what I would say is the tip to start finding your passion. To sit down with a workbook and say, what did I love doing when I was a kid? What, what what did I do when somebody pushed me on my path? And where was I going at the time? And what would I do if I won the lottery and money was an issue? And I guarantee you, I can almost guarantee you that somewhere in those, when you make that list is a hint to where your passion is. Corey, this has been such a moving and inspirational episode. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've taken tons and tons of notes because I feel like there's a number of things that I can personally apply. So I know our audience is, is getting a lot out of this. Um, so before you go, if you could just spend a moment and let our audience know how they can stay in touch with you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I always say that the, to me, the best two ways is to go to the hub, which in my case, the hub is the, the websites with an S. Um, the two websites would be the hub in terms of how they can dig deeper. So uh, speaking related website. Uh, so for everything, I guess, me as a speaker would be coreyporier.com. And the spelling of that, Gary, because it's not the, you know, the normal name, we'll say, is C-O-R-E-Y-P-O-I-R-I-E-R.com. And then the other website would be for our radio show, which is simply conversations with an S, uh, with passion.com. So all one word, conversations with passion.com. And on that website, they'll find literally right now, I believe it's around 40 hours of free content from some of the greatest thought leaders in the world via the radio show. Uh, and when they get to those two hubs, if they want to dig deeper you know social media is where you know i guess all the more up-to-date action happens these days it's a little more dynamic because it happens you know minute you know minute by minute uh so they can dig deeper by clicking on any of the social media links and and following us there and then uh the one other thing i would add is that on each of those websites is the the, the newsletter link so they can add their their uh, email address if they want on the main page of each each of those websites to join our newsletter tribe and the cool thing about that like most newsletters is they can jump on check it out if they don't like it they can literally opt back off with a click 
but uh, you never know what you're missing until you until you discover it. Uh, so as I, I said, 40 hours of content from some of the greatest thought leaders in the world, and then couple that with us sharing insight we've learned that we've never shared before via quotes, blogs, you know, anything you can kind of think of in the way of sharing information can be contained in that newsletter, and it's all free all the time. So that's kind of where I would send people. Perfect. Thank you so much. And this has been another episode of Breakthrough Cocktail. As I mentioned, all this information could be found in the show notes. And until next time, everyone, stay awesome. You've been listening to Breakthrough Cocktail. If you liked what you heard, be sure to visit www.breakthroughcocktail.com forward slash newsletter to sign up for the insider newsletter. As a subscriber, you'll get instant access to exclusive content and frequent doses of happiness. See you there. Until then, stay awesome. Stay awesome.